Well, good morning and welcome to everyone in this room and a special welcome to those of you joining us online from any of our campuses. We are a church that is in many locations uh, with the same desire to help people find and follow uh, Jesus Christ. So glad you're here. And again, I'm Scott, if you don't know me, one of the pastors here. And we are in this series uh, called, um, called Following Jesus. And we're looking at Colossians. And, and today, um, we're exploring Paul's, Paul's words to, the, to the, this Colossian church. And we want to learn together how to better follow Jesus Christ. Now, the, the scripture today, Paul's passage today, it's a, it's a beautiful and very important piece of scripture, and it's written more as a poem or a song. And we all know that uh, art, songs, poems can evoke something beyond the content of their words. Um, and and this, these words that Paul has for us today are full of meaning and very important. And there's a lot of theology there that we all need to know. Um, and it's, the, it's this question that is a big question. Who is Jesus. So we're going to dive into that. It's Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 15 through 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, blood shed on the cross. Let's pray. Gracious God, we ask you to teach us to fill us with the knowledge of your will through all the wisdom and the understanding that the Spirit gives so that we may live a life worthy of you and please you in every way bearing fruit in every good work and growing in your knowledge. Amen. So I used to coach a lot of sports for my kids. It was really fun, and I started when they were really young. And, uh, and so, you know, I didn't have to know a lot about the sport. And I, I remember uh, baseball's not really my sport, but I signed up to coach uh, kindergarten t-ball. How hard could that be, right? So... Um, we got the kids out there, and I remember one moment when uh, we, got, we got one of these little guys uh, lined up, and he had the tee just set just right, and he, 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 he swung the bat perfectly, and the ball went off the tee and kind of dribbled out past second base, and, uh, and I was thinking, this is great! They've got, it's got it, and, I, and he, he was so excited as he just took off and ran straight to third base. It was, <laughs> it was awesome, and I'm like, of course, there's three to choose from. Why not that one? I had apparently missed a little bit in the briefing of how, how, we, how we go around the bases. Um, but sometimes, and sometimes you have to start with the basics. Now, the Apostle Paul has a deep sense of love and care for these new Colossian believers and this new church, and he wants them to get off on the right foot. Um, and so he's going back to basics here. 
They need to keep the main thing the main thing. And Paul does not want them to get led astray. So he makes sure, he wants to make sure that these new believers are clear on Jesus. He wants them to make sure that the things that they are hearing and seeing and experiencing as they follow him, he wants them to be grounded in a theology that will sustain them. Because, here's the deal, if you follow the wrong Jesus, nothing else matters. So we start with this big question, who is Jesus? Was Jesus a good teacher, a wise prophet, the greatest among the angels? Or was he something much, much bigger? And this turns out to be the most important question for all humans because what hangs in the balance is salvation and forgiveness of sin and life after death and ultimately hope. The answer to this question will determine whether your faith is reliable or ridiculous. So let's look at what Paul is saying here about Jesus in this passage. The first thing he says is that he, Jesus, is the creator of everything. In him, all things are created, all things in, that have been created for him and through him. This means that we find Jesus in Genesis 1, separating the light from the darkness and the water from the land, creating the birds and the animals and humans, flinging stars into the sky. Somehow, Somehow Jesus is part of this from the very beginning. And Paul goes on to say that God's essence can be found in Christ. The passage says God's fullness is complete in Christ. All things hold together in and through him. Jesus has all the power, authority, and supremacy of God. Whatever the stuff that God is made of, whatever that stuff is, Jesus has it too. And finally, Jesus is at the center of our worship. Adam mentioned that when we were singing just a minute ago. He is the head of the church. His blood shed on the cross brought peace and reconciliation with God. Now, only God himself could pay the penalty for our sin and bring peace. And this is what Jesus did. Things that only God can do. Now, we could spend hours on these verses, really, seriously. There's so much rich theology behind them. But for the sake of this message, let me summarize. Even as Jesus walked the earth as a human, everything of God can be found in Jesus. Whatever you ascribe to God, you can apply to Jesus. Now, from the earliest moments of the church, early believers wrestled with what this means and how to understand it. There were some who thought Jesus was very, very special, yes, but would not make him equal with God. Others disagreed. And this all got settled at the Council of Nicaea, this great church council in 325 AD, when church leaders adopted the official understanding that Jesus, are you ready, is both fully divine and fully human. This is the doctrine of the incarnation. 
And this understanding of the nature of Jesus remains at the core of what we believe today. Listen to how closely the passage, this passage from the Nicene Creed reflects Paul's words in Colossians. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. Now here is the key. What does that mean for us? If Jesus is fully divine, then he is worthy of our worship. The great commandment applies to Jesus. We are to love him with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. He is worthy of our allegiance, and yes, he is worthy of following. This Jesus is worthy of following. Now, to think of Jesus, a human being in every way, right? He knew pain and suffering. He knew heartache and betrayal. Yes, he went through puberty and was awkward, and he bled and died. To think of that Jesus, that very human Jesus, holding all the power, authority, and holiness of God, the God who created the universe and everything in it, man, that is hard to get your head around. And that's actually the point. If you can get your head around it, it's way too small. And it's easy to want to reduce it, to make it manageable. And Paul understood this temptation. He knows that the Colossians lived in a crossroads city full of religions and, and cults and sects. They were literally surrounded by gods and truth claims. And it was common to cover your bases by believing in multiple gods. Why not? Or maybe you left a religion and brought some of that faith with you to the next one. Now, in this religious smorgasbord, it would have been very easy to take parts of each faith and stitch them together, which people did, and they do today. It would be easy to make Jesus just another good teacher or prophet. But a good teacher or prophet, a mere human being, cannot save us. If Jesus were just human, he would be just another sacrificial martyr. His death while symbolic and important, would not make peace with God. If Jesus is merely human, we are still trapped in our sins and without hope. But if Jesus is fully human and fully divine, then something special has happened. God has come near. God from God, light from light, true God from true God has come to us. And that is amazing. Now, as I mentioned, in this series, we're learning and studying what it means to follow Jesus. And basic principle number one, if we're going to follow Jesus, is we need to follow the right Jesus. And the Jesus we follow is the one who says, you shall have no other gods before me. See, the theology matters. But I can know a lot of things that are true and still not follow them. I'm very aware that bacon is terrible for me and that I should eat kale. 
I can't stand kale. And I eat bacon way more than I should because it's awesome. We all do things that we know, maybe we know the truth about, but we do them anyway. I can be convinced that Jesus is divine, that he deserves all my worship. I can know that he's worthy of my allegiance in my life. We can declare like Peter did, that only Jesus has the words of eternal life and that he is the Holy One of God. We can believe that and know that, and yet, and yet, when it comes down to it, when things get hard and I'm struggling or in pain or I simply don't get what I want, my heart wanders. I start to look elsewhere for some of those, to some of those other gods for hope and deliverance. Sometimes it's conscious. Sometimes it's just a slow drift away. One of my favorite hymns, uh, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, has the line, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And it speaks to that truth. And the reality is when we leave the God we love, we always find something else to put in its place. The biblical word for this is idolatry. And put simply, that's anything I put my trust and hope in other than the one true God. Now we can find idols everywhere. We can look to our own wisdom instead of God's wisdom. We can satisfy our own desires instead of doing God's will. We can worry about our own reputation rather than God's honor. So many ways this can happen. The great reformer John Calvin famously wrote, the human mind is, so to speak, a perpetual forge of idols. We crank them out uh, in amazing ways. We conjure up things that we can control and that claim to give us what we want, and then we live for those things. We give our devotion to those things. And we all have them. In some ways, the path of discipleship, the path of following Jesus, is simply uncovering those idols, renouncing them, and trusting in Jesus. Now, it may not always be easy to, to know what your idols might be. Um, if you're here with a spouse or significant other, you could maybe ask them. I bet they could tell you, probably. Um, but I have a few questions that might help us think about or uncover maybe some of the things that have become idols for us. First question, what occupies your mind? Archbishop William Temple once said, your religion is what you do with in your solitude. What do you think about when you're just daydreaming or sitting in traffic or when you sit quietly? What is it that fills your mind? What images do you see? What whispers do you hear? For me, it's a lot about football and what I'm going to eat next. Um, but what if it was about something bigger? Second question, where do you spend your money and your time? 
Now, you can get a look at this by just looking at your calendar or your bank account. And if I do that, uh, for me, it's pretty clear that uh, the idol is, uh, is Costco. Um, <laughs> I, I go there once a week, which is how often I go to church, and uh, I participate in the sacrament of the free samples, and I give my tithe at the end. It's really, um, it's, 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 it's a problem. And uh, if you see me at Costco, you can just go, Scott, just, you know, mind on things above, please. That would be great. Um, What's it for you? Where do you spend your time and your resources? Question three. How do you respond to unanswered prayers and frustrated hopes? You know, we all have moments in our lives and uh, we get sad and disappointed and things that don't go right with things that don't go right, but we move on. But if not getting what you want causes you deep despair or explosive anger or continual bitterness, you may have found an idol. You know, pay attention to your emotions. They can be a guide, especially those that are extreme. What is this saying about what really matters to me? It's a little way to get around and into what might be, you might be holding on to. Last one. How do you spend your time online? How do you consume social media? Now, it's interesting that social media literally uses the framework of following and followers. <laughs> Who are you following besides Jesus? I look at all the, I, I looked, as I was thinking about this, I looked at all the podcasts that are in my, that I follow that are in my little queue. Um, it's like Harvard Business Review, How to Be Awesome at Your Job, Church Ministry Leaders with Tips to Get Better. Uh, there's literally one called The Anxious Achiever. So clearly, self-improvement is really important to me. Lord knows I need it. Also travel podcasts, which is probably a way to escape to some faraway place, but that's, uh, that's another conversation. Now, there's nothing wrong with self-improvement. You know, idols are rarely bad things. They're good things that we make ultimate things. But if I'm thinking about this, I can ask myself the question, why am I so concerned about self-improvement? Do I lack the peace of knowing that Jesus gave, gave himself for me just as I am? Do I care more about pleasing the expectations of others rather than asking what Jesus wants from me? So if I look at what's in my life, I can, I can say, what is that about? What do I really care about? What, do I really give, what am I really giving my allegiance to? See, an idol represents a need that I am not giving to Jesus or an area of my life that I'm not surrendering. And then Jesus is just one of your gods, but not your only God. Tim Keller says, nothing is more dangerous than religious confidence in a fake God of our own imagining. We know that our idols will never ultimately provide what we need, but somehow we cannot help ourselves. We're stuck. So what do we do? What do we do? Glad you asked. We must realize that idols cannot simply be removed. They must be replaced. They cannot just be removed. They have to be replaced. Paul knows that the antidote to a God suited to my own capacity 
is a God that is bigger than I can imagine. And Keller writes it this way. Jesus must become more beautiful to your imagination, more attractive to your heart than your idol. This is what will replace your counterfeit gods. If you uproot the idol and fail to plant the love of Christ in its place, the idol just grows back. Now, I'm not much of a gardener, but I know that a thick lawn is the best way to keep out weeds. So how do we keep a thick lawn? How do we plant the love of Christ in our heart? Now, one of the things we do uh, is study the Bible, which happens to be our discipline for this series. And you can find lots of resources online about how to study the Bible. But we need to keep the truth of the gospel in front of us. We need to marinate in the words of Scripture because they will always point us to Jesus, the real Jesus. So we, we study the Bible. We live and marinate in those words of Scripture. Now, the other thing we do is also, like any relationship, right, time matters. We need to spend time with Jesus. We need to have time set aside to enter into God's presence. Out of sight, out of mind. If, Jesus, if we're encountering Jesus regularly, he will be in our mind. And we can enter into his presence. And it can be prayer or solitude or contemplation. Lots of ways, but the key is time devoted to growing closer to him. Nothing can substitute for scripture and intentional time with Jesus. Because that's how we learn to cling to him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So, back to the question. Are you following the real Jesus? Really following the real Jesus? Uh, there's an old movie uh, that came out a while back um, that... Uh, I don't think I'd recommend, but uh, it has some great scenes in it. Uh, it's called Dogma, and uh, it was a satirical movie. But there is, um, there's an a, 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 a internet meme that came out of that movie that uh, I think is, is really funny and really poignant. Um, the story is that the Catholic Church has decided that the crucifix, uh, which is Jesus depicted on the cross that you'll see in a Catholic church, is way too depressing and troubling. So... They needed to get a new symbol, something that was more hip and spoke to the times. And so they came up with the Buddy Christ. And if you've been online, you've probably seen the Buddy Christ. This is a literal picture of remaking Jesus into who we want him to be. Now, Jesus can certainly be our friend. That is true. But he is also Lord of the universe, the creator of all that is, and the one who makes peace with God through his blood shed on the cross. He's the God who made you and knows you and willingly went to the cross to die for you. He's more than a buddy. And Jesus on the cross is not an embarrassment. It is a triumph. It is a picture of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, not made, son, so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Back to the basics. Jesus, 
the real Jesus, is the only one who knows everything about us and gave his life for each one of us. It's the, he's the only one whose sacrifice can save us from sin and death. He's the only one who can bring justice and hope to our world. He's the only one who can truly change our hearts and our minds and transform us into new creations. He's the only one who meets our deepest needs and walks with us in our deepest sorrows. He's the only one who can open our eyes to the truth. So, Menlo Church, let's follow the real Jesus. Let's ground ourselves in the truth of Scripture. Let's spend time with the one who gave everything for us, the only one worth following, the real Jesus. I want to close with Psalm 146. Hear these words. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. And on that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. Pray with me, please. Lord, I'm aware that uh, I have idols things that I look to instead of you, and I know those of us in this room do too. And maybe for somebody in here, um, this is new news. And God, we know that your word says if we open our hearts to your love, you'll come in and make your home with us. And So we ask that you would do that. We ask that you would grab a hold of us that you would forgive us when we chase after other things with vain hopes because we want only you, Jesus. We know that you only are worth following. So fill us up. Draw our attention. Help us to stay faithful in prayer and worship. And thanks for loving us, for giving your life for us. We will follow you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.